Carroll bringing it forward. Thompson's making the run. Carroll hangs on to it though. Still Davy Carroll. Could go all the way here. Oh, what a goal! Welcome to episode 9 of Ringing the Blues. This week, we go through the action and the reaction from the Chairboys' win over Sunderland. We have a Wish Your Wickham Wanderers update with Pete Kuhig. Plus, we have part one of a great interview with Richard Dobson. We're not Little Wickham anymore. There's a belief here that there's something bigger going on than maybe the size of the club. But first, let's head to Mexico City and the results with Uri. Todos mis amigos and ringing the blues as always we are ringing from Mexico City with the results for League One. Tranmer Rovers 1, Southend United 1, Lincoln City 0, Shrewsbury Town 0, FC Wimbledon 1, Portsmouth 0, Bolton Wanderers 1, Rochdale 3, Doncaster Rovers 2, Bristol Rovers 0, Fleetwood Town 4, Burton Albion 1, Gillingham 1, Peterborough United 2, Milton Kingsdowns 0, Coventry City 0, Rotterdam United 1, Oxford United 2, Wickham Wanderers 1, Sunderland AFC 0, and Accrington Stanley vs Ipswich Town will be played on Sunday, so we don't have the result yet. And now let's go for our Spanish lesson of this week. The Cherry Boys speak Spanish. Los Cherry Boys hablan en español. This week's phrase is very tropical. I eat two mangoes every day. Yo como dos mangos cada día. I, yo, eat, comer. Two, dos, mangos, mangos. Every day, cada día. Every, cada, día, day. <laughs> I eat two mangoes every day. Yo como mangos. Yo como dos mangos cada día. So, greetings from Mexico City and back to my amigo Phil Catchball. Sunderland were in town to take on Wickham at Adams Park with their new manager, Phil Parkinson. Here's how it unfolded. It will take something special to move me away from Wickham but I'm also very grateful and proud to be the Wickham Wanderers manager and, and looking forward to the game on Saturday, a huge game. You know, um, I don't want to take anything away from this game and hosting Sunderland at Adams Park is, you know, it's dream stuff. And the boys will be up for this and, uh, and I'll, I'll certainly be up for it as well. So it'll be a left-footed outswinger from Jacobson. We'll be no doubt looking for Akinfenwe here as the ball is whipped and it's a good delivery. It goes towards Akinfenwe, wins a header. Darius yes! Charles has scored! And Darius <laughs> Charles with his first goal of the season just yes. cupped his ears at the Sunderland fans. They couldn't clear the header from Akinfenwe and Darius Charles just slams the ball into the top of the net. It's Wickham 1, <laughs> Sunderland 0. 
I said to the boys, look, there's a lot of hype around the game with the last couple of weeks. It's another game. It's a League One game. And if you build this up, then you could become a cropper in this. There's, it's no different to, to any home game we've had so far. OK, there's more fans here. The fantastic support from Sunderland. But the Wickham faithful showed up as well. And they were singing. They were getting behind the boys. And we have this spirit now amongst the players and the fans that spur is on. Darius, this story gets better and better. You're back out playing every week and now you're scoring goals and keeping clean sheets. Yeah, I mean, what what more could I ask for, you know? This time last year, things were very, very different. So I'm just honestly grateful to, to be out here still, you know, writing pages in this, this football chapter of my life. Talk about that feeling when the ball hit the back of the net compared to where you were last November. Uh, I mean... For the longest time, I've just felt like I've owed this club a lot. You know, they showed you know good faith in me by signing me, even though I, I did have have an ailment um, and things didn't work out. And the the belief and the patience that the gaffer, uh, my teammates, the fans, and the whole club showed in me, you know, was was just astounding. And I'm just literally repaying the the gesture. But the physical toll on your body with your hip injury, the amount of work you put in, that moment when the ball hit the back of it, just tell me that a precise moment, what did you think? Ah, oh, it was just, I didn't even wait around long enough to see it hit the back of the net because I, I kind of knew. Um, and it was just like, you know, I'm not gonna swear, but it was just like, yeah, just, yeah, just, yeah, you know, just about time, about time I, I gave that, you know, uh, so I'm just, I'm just ecstatic, I'm just, I'm over the moon. It hasn't really sunk in, I guess. The cliche is a game at a time, and, and in your injury, I suppose that's your reality. Wickham now with a Tuesday night trip to Blackpool, another game next Saturday. Is, is that something that you're physically able to do, or is, is, is the gaffer going to have to use the squad here? I mean, this is the beauty of the, the squad we have, you know, whether I said it inside, I said whether it's myself, Tools, Cedo, or Giles playing at centre-back, we've got such a, a great four that it really doesn't matter who plays, you know. I mean, Giles is an exceptional talent and when he's played, he's been phenomenal. You know, Cedo, obviously experienced and we all know what he can do and Tools has just been fantastic. So, you know, I'm sure the gaffer will look at it and, and see what's best. It's a long season. It's a very long season. There's a lot more games to come. And obviously for myself, my loading is, you know, very, very different from the rest of the boys. So we just take it a day at a time. A couple of extra mangoes tonight to celebrate? Ah, uh, see, if I have a couple of extra mangoes now, then I won't be able to have them tomorrow because then I won't have any left. So, you know, maybe a, maybe a mango popsicle. I've got a keen ear for music, Gareth, and it sounded like you were singing the fans out the stadium this evening. Was, was that you on the, on the record? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'll have to hear it again and see if it is, but uh, there is a rumour that I've, uh, I've done a recording of The Wanderer. So it we'll sounded like a Blackburn accent to me, Gareth. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm sure Dion will be happy with that. But um, it's, uh, you know, it, everyone loves knows I love my music and uh, I'm an extrovert, so any chance I get of singing, you know I'll do it. Ah, the opposition view. Here's what the Sunderland fans had to say after watching their side lose 1-0 to Wickham at Adams Park. Spuffs. How the fuck are that lot second? This is all about us mind. Rugby-style play with houses throughout the side. Little shame when blatantly cheating and so little quality. I'm still in shock when we fail to beat these outfits. Simply drop to their level and then get kicked 
pulled and cheated out of a result. Scott 934 Cheated out of a result. They could have scored at least three or four. Where was our threat? They also had a decent shot for a pen. By far the better team won. Maghater Wilton have a game plan that suits their players. Plus, their defence is organised. We've got nothing. Are always going to give a goal away and have no real goal threat, no pace and no physical presence. It's worrying. Woodall Burt They had a game plan and executed it perfectly. Ainsworth in. Hong Kong Fui. They never stopped working for each other. Were physically strong, organised and had a will to win. Basically, everything that is lacking in our team. Phil Scott Long. <laughs> so much for the new manager bounce. James Hunter. Woefully poor. One shot on target and that was in the 93rd minute. SAFC 1993 What an abysmal squad. Players with inflated big-time egos who haven't got any They need a huge boot up the ass. As you were. Apart from O'Neill and Wills, sell the rest. Even McGeady is becoming ineffective. Build a new squad with pace and strength. Too many games where we barely have a shot. We'll be lucky to make the playoffs. Embarrassing. Frankel. Onin is bang average too. He gives his all and he's a nice lad, but not special in this league. There's a reason why he's in his mid-twenties and only played in the lower two divisions. Marty Moose. We filled the squad with lower league yasht. And here, presto, we've got a Josh lower league team. Loads of rank average players with no discernible attributes and zero quality to make us stand out from the rest of the mediocre crap that we're stuck in a dogfight with. Martin S. Buckley. I'd rather have that fat f- uh, Akin Fenwa than Wake or Grieg. At least he puts himself about. Ian High. Well, that was appalling. No desire shown. Easily out fought for possession. No real drive or ambition to get something from the game. We're miles away from promotion. And if we carry on like this, the playoffs are a distant possibility too. Eric's Gate. Ipswich, Peterborough, Whitton and Fleetwood look like they might stretch it out. But 5th and 6th are still up for grabs. Although you would think that Portsmouth would wake up at some point. This league is not as easy as many purported it to be. A couple of episodes ago, lots of you enjoyed finding out about Wishaw Wickham Wanderers, the team north of the border that shares a name with the mighty chairboys. Pete Kuhig wanted to find out more, so he drove 500 miles, and he drove 500 more to come back to tell us how he got on in Scotland. It was awesome. Uh, it was a beautiful day. Uh, it was exactly what you'd expect in, in Scotland in uh, October. 
bright blue skies, cold wind. Uh, it's a great pitch that the boys had at the high school, at the local high school, um, and it was a very Wickham-esque uh, draw. Uh, they had a lot of opportunities. Uh, the the other team got a, the Glasgow Harps got a uh, got a goal in the first half, and they just kept fighting back, kept fighting back, and it just the whole second half it felt like they were going to get one, and they finally did, and then it kind of felt like they were going to get another one, and. Uh, and get one of those Wickham Wanderer wins. But uh, the boys, they played hard. Uh, some, some good players on the squad as well. Uh, had a great, great time after. The, post, the post-match festivities were at the Caledonian Pub, which is an awesome little pub in Wishaw. Uh, just a great group of guys and uh, very appreciative of, you know, the, the fact that we would come up there and, and share in their 25th anniversary. They loved the flag from the Wembley playoff final in 94. Uh, it, was just, it was just such a good time. So a guy from New Orleans gets involved with a club just outside London in the UK, ends up going to Scotland to see a team that shares the same name with the club that's just outside London. Football's great, isn't it? It's fantastic. Uh, you know, this is exactly the kind of thing that I that I knew was going to come up when you just start when you start trying to get outside of your own little domain uh, and just reaching out and trying to create relationships and and just creating a broader supporter base. Uh, stuff like this, you know, you could never expect it, um, except for maybe in Scotland because there's some crazy sobbers up there, uh, and uh, you know. So, and I, I spend a lot of time in the in the in Scotland, which is the true north, by the way. Uh, north begins north of the wall, not 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 you Southerners call the call the guys from Manchester and Liverpool Northerners, but that's not really the true north, Bill. I, I spend a lot of time in Scotland. I love it. So um, to have you know, kind of a brother club up there in Wishaw is a really, really, really cool uh, sort of bit of kismet about this whole thing. As we talk, the, the vote's going on. If, if, if you guys are to get in, uh, what are the plans to build stronger links with Wishaw with Commanders? Well, uh, one of the things that we talked about, he, he wants to take his team, he wants to take the squad down here and maybe set up a match against uh, uh, a, a local squad, uh, which would be awesome. Uh, definitely, want, it, it, we need to do it around one of our matches so we can have the boys at, the, at a match. Um, but yeah, the, it, there's no doubt uh, the relationship is going to continue and uh, hopefully. Uh, get us more and more Scottish fans, which uh, we've already, I couldn't go in, so I spent a lot of time in St. Andrews. I could not go anywhere in St. Andrews without people talking about uh, Wickham Wanderers. It was, it was insane. Uh, I was at a pub Sunday night. There were 20 people in this pub, and two of them were from Wickham. It was nuts. We get everywhere. Wickham, we wander, baby, we wander. Uh, there was talk about their the 25th anniversary of Wishaw Wickham Wanderers, their their change kit. Uh, there was talk perhaps of them taking the quarters for that. Is there any developments on that? Yeah, uh, I had a brief discussion with Alex about it. Uh, I think one of the, one of your ideas was that they should do the quarters in their own colours, which I think is the natural way to do it. Um, uh, I, yeah, without giving anything away, I'm going to say yeah. I think they're going to do it. Cheers, Pete. Well, Wishaw Wickham Wanderers were in action against Eastfield AFC on Saturday in the West of Scotland Cup. Sadly, they lost 6-0 to last season's finalists in what was always going to be a tough fixture against strong opponents. But come on the Wishy, you go again next weekend.
We've still got Gareth Ainsworth and Dobbo as number two. Well, this week I had the privilege to have a chat with Wickham Wanderers assistant manager Richard Dobson about his 12 years at the club. This is the first instalment of a two-part interview and serenaded by the players' music as they worked out in the gym below us, Dobbo started off by telling us how he arrived at Adams Park in 2007. Well, I first, I first came to the club, I got to a point at, at Brentford where I'd hit a bit of a brick wall. I wasn't going to go any further there working in the youth department and the guy who was head of youth there had been around the club for a long time. So I, I got to a stage where I thought I need to move on, I need to go and do something different. And um, that summer I had three offers. Um, Wickham, uh, I come and spoke to the club about what they were doing and was quite excited about the, the vision that they had at the time. Um, I, I was encouraged to go and work for the FA by the, one of the um, FA tutors, um, but that wasn't for me really. I wanted to work with players. Um, and then uh, after I'd agreed to come to Wickham, um, Watford got in touch. And uh, I was actually out uh, on a scuba diving holiday in Egypt and got a call um, from Watford saying, we think there's something that would interest you here. And will you come and speak to us? And um, I said, look, I've, I've shaken hands with Wickham. Um, and they said, you haven't signed anything yet, have you? And I said, no, no, but well, there's nothing done then. And I said, no, look, I've, I've shaken hands and I'm a man of my word. Um, I quite like the sound of the project there and, and over I came. And what was that doing then? You were initially in, in the youth set up here. Yeah, so Centre of Excellence Manager. Um, so my job was to oversee uh, the kids from 16 down. But at that stage, there was no youth team manager appointed. So I ended up taking the, the youth team for the first month of the season. Um, and then Greg Hield came, who was a good guy. I liked him. Good guy. Um, so I worked quite closely with him um, during weekdays and then oversaw what happened in the evenings with the training schedule with the kids and the... Um, uh, and the coaching staff and uh, obviously that, that held me in good stead for what was to come further on. So people talk about the youth system here and they have a, they'll, they get a bit misty-eyed now because obviously we don't have it anymore but this was a real golden period for the club wasn't it in terms of the players that came through and I mean your hallmarks are all over those I mean talk to us about some of those players. Yeah it was um, there was some fantastic work going on and it's so often the case in youth departments because it's not out there and, and people aren't hearing about it, it, it you, you often don't hear a great deal about what is going on but um, there were some wonderful ideas some great creativity and I had some I was working with some really terrific um, staff firstly you know honest and trustworthy people but on top of that um, some really bright people um, one of the best people I worked with was a guy called Dave George, who was in his uh, 60s at the time, had worked with the kids, the babies, uh, all the way through his career, and was just a master at coaching 7s, 8s, 9s, 10s, 11s. You know, he was absolutely brilliant. And he set a platform up um, for, for the younger age groups, along with um, Sam Grace, who's now working at Reading, um, Alex Willis. Um, for the younger age groups here, uh, we, we recruited heavily on, on attitude. We looked at the psychological traits of players that came through in their later years, so 18, 19, 20, and, and decided that the psychology of players was the most important thing. So we recruited um, on the psychological um, aspects of, of these kids, and it, it proved to be um, a masterstroke. Our nines to twelves were outstanding, and it was brilliant to see because at the time everybody was raving over Kadeem Harris and Jordan Ibe, and we were sat here going, "There's better, four or five years younger than them." I actually took um, Kadeem Harris and Anthony Stewart and that, that youth team down to training one night, and, and I said to them, "I want you to watch these kids because I want you to understand what's coming through the system four or five years behind you." And I think they thought it was a bit of a joke at the start, and then when they watched them, they were like, "I, I couldn't do that at my at, at their age." 
that's incredible some of the things they're doing so you look at them now and people like Danny Loder um, who's an England international with Reading and was um, you know, due to go for a big money move over the summer I'm not sure what happened there um, but there's people like him creeping up all over the place now at sort of 17, 18, 19 years of age it used to be in our system that um, you know unfortunately we've, we've missed out on I mean, finance is well documented why the academy was closed down, but it must have been quite heartbreaking for you because obviously all the players, all the work you put in, but those relationships you built with them as well. Absolutely, and I've got some some heartbreaking stories actually. You know, the night we had the meeting with the parents, um, there was a little lad. Afterwards, all the parents came and, and wanted to speak, and how can we help, and what can we do? And there was this little lad that waited patiently, and he was a terrific player, under 11, I think, at the time. Um, big heart and, and desire and I really liked him and um, he sat there patiently while all the parents spoke to me and eventually I got a bit of spare time and I said to him are you alright Ben? And he said why when you tell us never to give up are you giving up on us? Uh, and it was like a dagger through the heart because I would never have wanted to give up on any of them kids so I worked my backside off um, to try and keep it alive um, and the timing couldn't have been worse because me and my wife had our, our first um, child on the Friday night um, the following week, Monday morning, I was in meetings with people trying to keep it alive in some way, shape or form. So, you know, the following week, I, I got to a point where I was suddenly thinking, I've just had a child of my own and I'm, I'm the only one here who could actually affect, you know, 100 other people's kids. But I thought to myself, what are you doing? You know, you should be at home with your child and your wife. And, uh, you know, that was, as I say, I was the only person at that time that could really um, try and manipulate things to, to keep it alive. Unfortunately, it wasn't to be. There's potential investment coming into the club now and a lot of fans would love to see a youth set up uh, reignited at Wickham Wanderers. I mean, the game's changed a lot since those days as well in that short period of time. Uh, is it something that could happen at Wickham and, and it would take a, a long time, I'd guess? It would. It's not something you can click your fingers, set up and then instantly produce players. It's going to take a period of time to to bed it in and you look at clubs that have started up from scratch in the past and it takes a good few years to bring anything of any quality through so um, it will be a tough to restart and it's, it's tough now because it's all loaded in the bigger clubs favour um, they've manipulated the system to the point where um, they get first pick on players and if they don't get first pick on players they just come and take them for peanuts um, so the days where we could um, bring Jordan Ibe through from 11 years of age through to 16 um, and he was obviously well sought after at 14. Um, you know, another thing that people don't realise is that at 14 years of age he could have walked away to, I think he had Man City, Fulham, Tottenham amongst others that were interested in him. And myself, Steve Hayes and um, Gary Waddock visited his house in South London and had a chat with his parents and said, look, this is our plan for him and we, we foresee him being in our first team in the next couple of years. Um, we had him working with a psychologist on one-to-one -one on his own personal development because we knew that he was going to move on and he needed them psychological skills to progress. Um, the psychologist worked with his mum to help her with the transition. So there was a whole load of work going on that people don't necessarily see um, to get him ready to, to break into a first team at 15 years of age and then to move on and obviously a massive move to a massive club. Um, so yeah, there was a lot going on. Um, in terms of the players that were coming through that now would they come through they'd probably be poached before they got the chance I would have thought If you had a magic wand and you could change youth football in this country from the very top what changes would you make? That's a good question <laughs> I, I think they've got it all wrong you know I, I think what they're doing now um, is hoarding players at the top clubs and the great thing about 
players is that given an opportunity, some of them surprise you. So the ones that you don't necessarily think are the, the, the bankers to come through, all of a sudden get a lucky break in the game. You know, someone gets injured, they get thrown in the first team and all of a sudden they just come alive. It's their, it's their moment and they, they take it. And I think what's happening now is that players are getting hoarded at, at the big clubs. So you've got um, 30 players in an under-23 squad and you've got 30 players in an under-18 squad and you're going, well, there's 60 players for two teams already. Some of them are being stifled when they could be at a Wickham Wanderers or an Accrington Stanley or whoever it might be, gaining that opportunity. So I think we're, we're stifling people's progression. We're limiting opportunity. Um, they've obviously brought in the, the under-21 teams into the checker trade to try and give them some of that. Um, but I think what they're noticing is that those players are still a long way away from playing at League 2 and League 1 level. Um, you know, they, they're getting turned over quite regularly by... We, we, you know, we've played so-called weaker sides against the likes of Fulham and, and West Ham and, and beat West Ham quite comfortably on a couple of occasions. So I think they're learning now that going out and, and actually taking the opportunity is really important. Like Alfie Mawson did, like Jason McCarthy, like Dominic Gabe, um, Fred Onyedimma. Going and playing lower league football is a platform for them to go and um, showcase themselves. And it adds value to what they bring to their own clubs if they go out and have a really productive six-month loan spell. Um, and that for me is what I would, what I would change. I would, I would give the top clubs a certain number of players that they could have. You know, and if you're going to have only 20 players, then you can go and pick the best 20 players. But let the next 10 that are sort of doing nothing at their clubs at the moment go and have a career or go and try and build a career elsewhere. And it'd be better for clubs like ourselves. Financially, quite difficult to tell someone who's probably quite comfortably off at a young age as a player who's not getting a look in but probably having quite a good lifestyle. Uh, is that an impact on players now? Is that, is that helping? We talked about psychology. It must be quite tough to deal with for, as a young person. Absolutely. There needs to be more Dominic Gapes in football. So Gapey was on a, a decent wage for a young player, a really good wage for a young player at Southampton. And he took a huge pay cut to come and have a career. Uh, and he said, I want to be a first team player not a, a well-off under-23s player. Um, and, and still, he, he's still not at the wage, anywhere near the wage that he was on at Southampton, even now, having played, what, it's got to be 100-odd games, I would have thought. Um, but he understands the value of having a career in the game and getting out and, and w working for three points on a Saturday in front of the fans. He understands the, 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 the position that clubs hold in the community and, and how he can inspire others through that. Uh, and I find too many boys who are, you know, when you're at Manchester City and the top players on £500,000 a week, then it stands to reason that everybody else is going to shuffle up along the, the way. And you've got suddenly youth team players on £8,000 a week or £10,000 a week. How can that be right? They've never set foot on a first team pitch, yet they're earning ridiculous money. Um, they're not earning it, they're just getting it through the fact that they're a, a good young player and they're at a club where the wages have gone through the roof. So for me, um, I, I would thoroughly recommend that players get out and, and play football. Um, too many are too comfortable too early and, and lack a bit of a desire to go and earn a career and to fight for a, a football club or a local community. And I think that's a real shame in the game at the moment. So in your role now, you talk about psychology uh, earlier on in this. When you're bringing these players from bigger clubs, I'm guessing the, psychology, the psychological element of what you do is key because you've got to find the ones who aren't just comfortable, haven't you, and who will want to go in and play alongside the Bloomfields and the older players who I'm guessing will be, look, look, you know, we need a win bonus this week. I've just had another kid. I'm having an extension bit on my house, whatever. They have real day-to-day -day worries. I'm sure that must be 
tough for a young player to deal with. How do you identify those character traits? Um, it's quite funny actually because we had a meeting with uh, all the new players at the start of the season. And um, I said to him, uh, well done, you, you've succeeded already. We hadn't played a game at this stage, but well done, you've succeeded already, you've got through the door. I said, you don't know how hard it is to get through the door here at Wickham Wanderers because we know what you have for breakfast in the mornings, we know what TV programmes you watch, we know everything about you. And the, the looks on their faces are quite scared that actually um, we know a little bit more about them than, than they realise. But the character tre- checks are, are absolutely crucial. Um, along with the watching the footage and seeing what they're doing off the ball and how they react to their own mistakes and other people's mistakes. They're leaking information all the time, they just don't realise it. Um, And you've just got to know where to look. So we use Matt Bloomfield as a prime example. You know, here's a fella that for 15 years has had players like you youngsters walk through the door and try and take his place. For 15 years he's kept batting you off. Um, He's your, your example. If you want to have a career in the game, this fella is your example. And I also use Dominic Gape and, and used to use Jason McCarthy quite a lot as two players that re- um, recognise the importance of going and playing first-team football and what it done for them and their careers and their self-esteem. Um, so I'd often bring uh, new players into a meeting with myself and Jason and say, I want you to have a chat with these two. And this is what this club did for them. This is what we're going to do for you. And if you go back to your club with greater value and, and it improves your, your career future, then fantastic. If it doesn't work out for you there, but you've done really well here, this could be your next home. Um, we always talk about, we have a saying, that any lone player that comes in, their fight has to be our fight, and our fight has to be their fight. Uh, and if we don't see that, then um, they, they exit pretty quickly. It's very interesting you saying about the new players. You say, well done, you've done the hard thing, you've got in the door. Whereas the public message of Wickham Wanderers is little Wickham, no money, scrapping around off on the scrap heap, picking up freebies here and there. It's a very different message, isn't it? It is, and I think the mentality would surprise people because when you listen to other clubs talk about Wickham uh, in our division and particularly the bigger clubs, they talk about um, you know it's, it's a small club. There's not a small club mentality here. We looked around the dressing room at the start of the season and we said, we think we're capable of beating anybody in this division anywhere. Um, and Bayo said it the other day when we got the draw against um, Peterborough in the dressing room after the game he kept uh, he was shouting at the top of his voice we're not little Wickham anymore we're not little Wickham anymore there's a belief here that there's something bigger going on than maybe the size of the club um, and certainly I've always talked about um, two types of currency in football so you've got your financial currency um, and if you're Manchester City or Chelsea you spend a whole load of money you bring in the best players and it elevates your status Um, But there's another currency and it's connection between people, which can be even more powerful. And whilst we haven't had a great deal of money here over the years, we're we're super rich in the connection between people, whether that's um, the dressing room um, or or the connection between the fans, because I think the fans understand what we're doing and what we're trying to do. Um, But there's a real strong connection. It's it's like an interwoven fabric here that is incredibly strong. And so when you make 12 changes, as we have done, or bring 12 players in, you look at it and you think, there could be a wobble here in the social structure. All of a sudden there's 12 new people trying to find their place. But the strength of the culture of the group now means that those 12 players have integrated as if they've been here the whole time. Um, And you would never believe that we've lost Jason McCarthy, who I thought was going to be a massive loss, because Jack Grimm has come in and and just fit in automatically. Um, It's wonderful to see. So what we've got here is a culture that's going to take this club forward for many years to come, hopefully, as long as we can retain the players and the people within it. Um, and it's it's just a wonderful place to come to work. Culture's the word. You've been here a long time. Gaz has been here a long time. Does it take time to build this? It can't be done overnight? No, it, you've, you've got to identify the right people. 
Um, for us, identifying the, the four generals, as we call them, um, was key. And, and um, as, as one's moved on, Gapey's moved up as what we see as our, our... He's captain aside already, but we see him as a future leader of this club and he has all the right qualities. Um, so, yeah, sort of mentoring them. Um, you know, I work with them, I speak with them sort of once a month and we discuss the, the squad and which players could do with a little bit of help and how I want them to help those players. Um, people like Matt Bloomfield have taken on that role unbelievably well. He, he's a great ambassador for this club, but he's also a great mentor for the younger players. Subtle at times, he, he's really bright and he gets his role superbly. Um, and people underestimate the role that he plays for this club in, in terms of being a culture creator and a culture guardian. Um, but then you need different types because Matt Bloomfield will impact on certain types of players, but Adebayorak and Femmel will, will impact on others. So we've got a mixture of, um, of personalities in that group and characters so that we deliberately impact on every single player within the squad and, and no one's left in isolation or, or without any kind of support or help. That's your lot for this episode. Part two with Dobbo will be on next week's podcast and we'll also have all the reaction from the two Northern away trips this week. Plus, we'll hear from former club chairman and sporting director Andrew Howard. Many thanks to Vital Len, Pete Kuig, Wishaw Wickham Wanderers, Richard Dobson and of course you for listening. Take care and come on you blues.